0: Last week, I talked about self-esteem and worth, and I thought that was hard. Today, I'm talking about shame. That's right, shame. If I had a two-sided coin with self-esteem on one side, the positive side, I think shame would be on the other side. That's why I'm going to discuss it today. It is important for us to understand it so we know how to fight it. If we want to live a happy, meaningful, connected life, we have to talk about the things that get in the way. In the book, Gifts of Imperfection, by Brene Brown. She talks a lot about shame, even calling herself a shame researcher. I like her a lot, and I got a lot of what I'm going to discuss today from her and from a few other books. If you have a chance to read one of her books, I recommend any of them. She describes shame as this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. If we look at her definition more closely, we can see shame for what it is. It is a distortion. She says feeling or believing, and we already discussed that feelings are created by our thoughts. So is shame a feeling that comes from an accurate thought or a distorted one? Well, if what she says, the feeling that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, then it is definitely a distortion. Because, like we discussed last time, we are worthy regardless. Our worth does not change, not because of our successes or our flaws, not at all. It's a tricky little distortion because it plays off of an accurate thought. I am flawed. That is accurate. But the fact that because I am flawed, I am less worthy of love or belonging is totally and 100% not accurate. In fact, shame pretends it's just like guilt. It isn't. Guilt is the feeling we get when we acknowledge we have done something not in line with our own standard of living. Guilt is what motivates us to apologize, to right the wrong, fix the hurt. If both guilt and shame are feelings, though, what are the thoughts that create them? Well, guilt, we think, I did something wrong. Shame, we think, I did something wrong, so I am wrong. Or guilt would be, I did something bad, and shame would be, I am bad. Guilt questions the action, which is why it can produce action. Shame questions the person, the self, and it is nothing more than a distortion. It's interesting because we can feel shame without experiencing it, and we can experience it without feeling it, but the second one's a lot harder. Let me use one example with different scenarios to show what I mean. The first one, I experience shame and I feel it. Let's say I'm at a get-together and I eat three brownies. Now, you guys need to know, I like brownies. And while I'm eating the third one, a friend comes up and says something like, I can't believe you would eat three brownies. They have nothing good for you in them. I would never do that. So bad for your body, you shouldn't eat them at all, let alone three. That friend is shaming me. So that is me experiencing shame. But then I feel shame by what I think. So let's say I I think something like, Ugh, I can't believe I ate three. I shouldn't have. I suck. She, that friend, is so much better than me. Now, I feel shame. I feel like I am less of a person because I ate those three brownies. Scenario number two, I experience shame, but I don't feel it. So, my friend says the same thing as scenario one, but instead, I think, those brownies aren't good for me. I don't like that I had three this time. It would have been better for me if I had stopped at one. What can I do next time to help myself make the choice to have one? Bam. I still experience shame or I have a shame experience, but I don't am in control of my thoughts. So I've chosen not to feel shame. So the last scenario is where I feel shame without experiencing it. This is the one I think happens most for me. So I eat the three brownies, and then the same friend is there, and someone offers her one. She says something like, no thanks, or no thanks, I'm not eating sugar, or anything other like that, anything like that that relates only to herself. Then I think the same thing I did in the first scenario. Ugh, I can't believe I ate three. I shouldn't have. I suck. She, my friend, is better than me. Because my friend didn't eat any, or even if she said she wasn't eating sugar that is not her shaming me. That is her talking about herself and choosing for herself. So I didn't experience the shame, but I still felt it. I shamed myself. That, That was a simple shame example. But if you look for them, you'll see them everywhere. We experience shame about anything and everything. Parenting, body image, eating habits, organization, cleaning, knowledge, the list goes on. You'll notice in my examples that whether I felt shame was based 100% on myself. Yes, in the first example, someone did something to me, but that was, not, that was an experience and not the cause of my shame. Because in the second example, that person did the same thing, but without me feeling shame. And in the third example, no one did anything to me and I still felt shame. So again, 100% up to me. The difference that matters in the examples is my thoughts. In the two where I felt shame, I thought the same distorted thought. I am less for having done something I don't like or something I didn't want to. Here's what I said I thought. Ugh, I can't believe I ate three. I shouldn't have. I suck. My friend is better than me. The more obvious distortion is my friend is better than me. That implied that I am less because of what I did but my worth does not change because of my action. I am worth the same. But even if you take out that thought, there is still another one that is just as hindering as that one. I shouldn't have. This is such a tricky little thought. It goes around masquerading as a motivator, but it 100% is not. Ever since I read about it, I've started saying, don't should on yourself. I say it to myself and my sisters, my friends, It doesn't help us to should on ourselves or to should on others either. So first, it isn't an accurate thought. Here's why. In my example, I thought I shouldn't have eaten three. Well, in reality, I am human and therefore imperfect. So technically, I in fact should have because I'm not capable of being perfect or making the best choice 100% of the time. So does that mean I am doomed to fail, eat all the brownies and be miserable my whole life? No, it means I need to focus on what I want, work hard to get it, and continue practicing making the choices I want. So it's not an accurate thought, and it's not even a helpful one. By telling myself I shouldn't have done something I already did, I don't motivate myself. I just put myself down. It's like I said before about the vase. Are we using those negative experiences to put ourselves down or to learn and grow and better ourselves? So, what is an accurate, helpful thought that we can reuse, we can use to replace the shoulds? Well, like I used in my example, I don't like that I had three. It would have been better for me if I had had one. Some good replacement phrases for the shoulds are, it would be nice, I wish, it would be better if. These work for when we should on ourselves or on others. For ourselves, instead of I should have known, I should have known better, we can say and think, I wish I would have realized before, or it would have been better if I knew that before. Instead of telling your spouse, you should ask if I need help, or thinking that about them, change it to, I wish you would ask if I need help, or it would be nice if you would ask if I need help. It works for anyone and everyone. For your kids, instead of, you should do your chore without me asking, or even, you should brush your teeth every morning. Replacing it with accurate statements helps both them and you. You don't end up with unmet expectations. Some you might even not know were there, but ones that you still feel frustration and disappointment on. And they don't feel the weight of those expectations and are less likely to feel self-put-down and shame of not meeting them. You can say, it would be nice if you do your tour without me asking. This gives you space to explain the why, something that kids need to be able to understand and learn rather than just be obedient. It would be better if you brushed your teeth every morning. Again, gives you the space to explain the reason. It would be better if you brushed your teeth every morning because brushing helps keep plaque off your teeth and will prevent the cavities. And I mean, all the explaining can be there or not based on the situation, the kids' ages, the time you have, etc. But by just taking the shoulds and replacing them with accurate, helpful thoughts, you will relieve a lot of pain and stress on both sides. I'm not suggesting we never use the word should. It's said jokingly all the time. Someone misses out on something awesome and you say, oh man, you should have been there. It was awesome. Really, that could be replaced with I wish or it would have been nice if, but those aren't shoulds that place expectations. So think about and listen to the shoulds you use. Is it really what you mean? Lots of times we have these shoulds only in our heads. We have tons of these made-up rules we've placed on ourselves and others floating through our internal dialogue. Sometimes we don't even say them out loud ever, but we think them. I got caught in this the other day. I was having a normal day. I have four kids, and three of them are in school all day. When they got home, it was madness. Everyone was fighting with each other and complaining about homework and chores and generally not listening and not doing what they knew they should be doing. I was exhausted when my husband got home and he could tell. We were talking about it and I was just so frustrated because they hadn't been good. I couldn't put my finger on exactly it was, that was what it was that was frustrating me. I said to my husband, mostly joking, I know they're kids, but why can't they just listen and do what they're supposed to all of the time? Then they'd be happy and get to play and I'd be happy, win-win. We, we both laughed and then we moved on. I kept thinking about why I was so frustrated I knew expecting them to do and listen to what I say all of the time was unrealistic, but I was still frustrated. Then it hit me like a pound of bricks. Even though I knew that, I had this distortion floating around in my head. If I teach my kids something or tell them something enough times, they should learn it and do it always. Ugh, that stupid, stupid should. That is not a realistic expectation. Do I learn everything I'm taught right now as an adult? Do I do everything I know is best for me? No. Then why would I expect my kids would be able to always do it? I looked deep at that thought. I wrote it out. I questioned it. Is it helpful for me to think this, to have this expectation? No. Is it what life has taught me is true? No. I've been a parent for 12 years. Those 12 years have taught me, in fact, that the opposite is true. If I teach my kids something or tell them something enough times they likely won't always do it they are still learning life I mean I'm still learning life okay so I rewrote it if I teach my kids something or tell them enough times it would be nice if they learned it and always did it oh heck yes it would be nice would it be better yes how would it be better for them I think we all know how it would be better for me It would be better for them if they did what they'd been taught or told to do because they would have a happy mom. And I know the saying is happy wife, happy life, but really it should be happy mom, happy life. Am I right? But also it would be better for them because they wouldn't get the punishment and they would get a good consequence. They might even be able to make the thing into a good habit like brushing their teeth morning and night. I mean, the list is miles long. So now I'm waiting for the frustration to hit again. I know there will be plenty more chances for me to practice this when it does i'm hoping to catch it label it for the distortion that it is and change it to be accurate this was a personal example but there are tons of unwritten unrealistic rules or expectations we have some of them are widely accepted in society if i am nice to other people they should be nice back really who says they should where is that written why should they maybe they're having a bad day Maybe someone else was just mean to them. There could be a million reasons why after you are nice to them, they are not nice back. Or how about my fill-in-the-blank spouse, mom, sister, employee, whomever, should make me happy. They should? We think these shoulds motivate us. They don't. In fact, they do the opposite. In the Feeling Good book, Dr. Burns says, Your frustration results from your habit of comparing reality with an ideal in your head. When the two don't match, you condemn reality. It doesn't occur to you that it might be easier to simply change your expectations than to bend and twist reality. This frustration is frequently generated by should statements. You may have the illusion that such pushing, demanding statements will help you by driving you to try harder, but it rarely works this way. The frustration just adds to your sense of futility and increases your urge to give up and do nothing. So today, tomorrow, whenever you think about it, question these shoulds, the ones you say and the ones you think. Your life and the lives of those around you will be better as you do this. Remember, life is a practice, so don't be hard on yourself. You're just practicing, and so is everyone else. If you'd like to comment or send me a message, with some of the should statements you rewrote, or ones that you've let go of. Uh, you can even message your comment with should statements that you aren't able to see the accurate side of, and we can talk about those. Anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs>